You can always expect the joy from a dose of black joy and caffeine, but now you can grab your own caffeine by visiting mimoscoffee.co and grabbing your own coffee from one of our favorite black and women-owned coffee brands. Just visit M-I-M-O-S-C-O-F-F-E-E.co. Go to the store and simply use the promo code BLACKJOY when you check out to receive a discount off their four ounce sample pack. Well, now that you've got your dose of caffeine, let's get back to the joy on a dose of black joy and caffeine. goodness well listen we got yeah we got so much to catch up on i mean just like just a wealth of everything so i mean like i say if you're good to go i'm good to go i'm good to go i'm good to go let's let's make it happen let's make it happen well welcome one and all to another episode of a dose of black joy and caffeine um this is season five and we've had over 50 guests on the show so i am super um excited and thankful for all the support on today's show, we have Ashley Ellaby, who is the global head of life cycle marketing at Amazon Music. Now, Ashley has over 12 years of experience, which I kind of think she may be being a little humble here because she has been in the trenches learning and just really involved into uh, marketing and so many other ventures. She is currently at Amazon, but has also worked at top tier CPG companies such as Google, Capital G, and many more. In her new role at Amazon Music, she is responsible for global engagement and retention for the Amazon Music app and platform. As I mentioned prior to Google, Ashley has worked for several different companies, and we're later on going to get to that today during the podcast, but she's also had previous roles at companies such as PepsiCo, as well as Kraft, and she, on top of all that, is an entrepreneur who has had her own fashion business. She is also um, been involved in the restaurant business, which is really exciting for you foodies out there. Um, and not only is she somebody that is a huge advocate when it comes to uh, marketing and also creating processes and procedures for Fortune 500 companies to make them better, but she's also an angel investor and mentor for startup uh, companies, and particularly when it comes to minority as well as women representation for startups and providing them um, resources as well as information to really help ground them in pursuing their goals and objectives. Outside of that, when Ashley's not working, she is traveling the world, spending time with her family and friends and managing her growing real estate investment portfolio. She is a graduate of many colleges, educational programs, which we're going to later on get into. But outside of all this, when you think about somebody that is data driven, especially in the tech industry, as well as somebody that puts people first, this person comes to mind. And like I have told other people, when this person speaks, yes, they're extremely collaborative, but you just do and execute because they probably know what they're talking about. Ashley, welcome to a dose of black joy and caffeine. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Thank you, Adu. I appreciate that. 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, you've done it. I mean, I think as I was like, as you know, you sent over your bio and I always tell guests, I'm like, whenever people send over their bios, I'm like, I'm going to read the whole thing to give people their flowers because it's like, listen, you put in the work. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take all the flowers. I'm gonna take all the time. So thank you for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at what point did you get over the the fear of failure? I guess would be my question to you. Mm, that's actually a really good question um, because it's something that I actually struggled with for a while. So when I um, end up having to stop doing my fashion business, actually right before I came to Google in 2018, I actually was very depressed because I felt like my business had failed. I felt like I had lost my investors their money and I had this whole goal, this whole dream that I had been working on for years. I didn't feel like it had come to fruition the way that I thought that I had imagined to be. I thought I was gonna be like, you know, Michael Kors out here, millionaire. <laughs> And every Macy's Nordstrom just out here just winning. And it didn't work out like that. And it took me a long time to get over that fear of failing again. Mm -hmm. Because I always told myself, well, I don't want to try too hard to be too risky because what happens if it happens again? But actually coming to Google was when I first realized like, oh, wait, I'm still that girl. I'm still the shit. Like I may have, my business may not have been as successful as I wanted to be, but it was still successful. I still made money. I still had lots of great partnerships. I got to do a lot of really great things that I had never done before. And no one I had seen in my life had done before. And I had to start looking at that perceived failure as just lessons learned. And what could I take from that and apply to what I'm doing now? And it was actually in, after I started at Google, my then manager actually gave me the feedback. Part of the reason why he thought I was the best person for this job was because I had entrepreneurship experience mm-hmm. because I had, you know, small business experience, being able to start and build something from the ground up that no one else had. And it was with that nugget of insight, I was like, Oh, this is not the end. I yeah. can actually build upon this and do more with this and take this as like a lesson learned, a chance to pivot versus count it as a failure and like not like you know on like my you know belt or whatnot yeah no that's a great point and I love the way that you mentioned it too lesson learned because I feel like so often we go into new ventures like oh my goodness what if I fail or oh my goodness I failed but I think that 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 mindset shift really helps because like I mentioned just meant talk like reading through your bio the places that you worked and the things that you have done I feel like if fair was the number one thing like you know in your mind that would have really kind of uh, prohibited you from moving forward with so many amazing things so yeah Yeah, that's good to know. You know, I cannot believe that this is 2023. Um, You know, the makeup of this show, interestingly enough, Ashley, really came out of 2020, uh, which um, I got in a place to where I was seeing a lot of business executives, excuse me, a lot of business leaders, marketing executives, people in the tech industry, obviously, really having so many conversations about uh, diversity and inclusion. And it was really... Um, I wanted to create a platform because I'm like, we're so much more than that. Like that's the day-to-day of like what we live, but we're so, it's so much like a makeup. So I was like, let me create this. And I know, you know, I had the, it's like a a fortunate yet unfortunate pleasure of being in the trenches with you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
That was about time. That was time. <laughs> yeah, for some of those moments, but I want to know, you know, 2023, and when I'm talking about the trenches, I'm really talking about a lot of the things involving uh, the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020. Do you feel yeah. like there's been um, a positive shift within the industry or anything that has changed since that time, um, you know, now being three years out? Yeah, I do. Um, and of course, I will say, like, it's unfortunate that people had to die, you yeah. know, for these things to shift. But again, looking at it as an opportunity to grow from this, I have seen the industry, especially tech industries and other large corporate spaces who have historically tried to have like DEI as something as like a HR checkbox of like, oh, we're doing what we can to make sure we don't get sued, but never really took it to heart and made sure that it was incorporated into the culture, it was incorporated into their hiring practices. And I can say, even at the larger companies, we're still constantly having those conversations because people are more aware of that bias. People are more aware of those past like discrimination practices. And also I think it's given us black people more power to stand up and speak up for ourselves and call out that BS or call out those experiences to our bosses, to our leaders and say, hey, this isn't fair. And I'm gonna hold you accountable to that. And I think before, and I'll speak for myself, not sure about everybody else, yeah. but I think there's a little bit of a fear to hold people accountable for things we knew were wrong or we knew needed to be changed because we were all like supposed to be feeling grateful to have this job, supposed to be grateful to be in this big company, have this yeah. big role. And we were subliminally kind of told us to be quiet, just chill, sit back, don't make a mess, don't make a scene. But I love seeing us as black people refine that voice and say, nope, actually what's going to happen is you're going to do this differently. You're going to do that differently. And if you don't, I'm out and I'm taking all my knowledge with me. I'm taking all my people with me and we're going to do our own thing or go to a place where I'm more appreciated. So I feel like it's given us as employees more power mm -hmm. to advocate for ourselves, get what we need in these workplace, as well as hold these big corporations accountable for the promises they made in 2020 and the things they said they're going to change. We now can actually have a piece of paper and say, you said this, where is it at? Yeah. You know, and these companies are starting to realize that they can't just use this as a HR caveat and say, oh, I did my part. They have to really invest in change and people people to notice that difference. And I think it's it's been a good um, shift in my opinion since uh, 2020. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to, you know, really hopefully challenging people to really like humanize the, arts, the stories that we're telling um, when it comes to brands as, as well as, um, you know, major companies. So I appreciate yep. that. Um, you know, I, I always like to tell people, I'm trying my best to be Arsenio Hall here. So, you know, bear with me, but I do a little bit of research, you know, maybe Montel Williams. Okay, um, okay. You have um, talked about how Shoe Dog by uh, Phil Knight is one of your favorite books. Um, yes. What What is the impact of that book and why do you feel like it's so important, particularly for people in marketing, advertising, or even like the tech industry? Yeah, so the reason why I love Shoe Dog is because it tells, in my opinion, like one of the, the greatest like underdog stories mm -hmm. of someone who had been you know, given, had this great vision, this great dream and couldn't get all the right players in place to see it to fruition. He had, you know, multiple failures with the startup, multiple issues with distribution, 
branding, and then all for him to build Nike to be one of the most yeah. beloved and well-known brands in the world. And it's to the test of time. And me coming from the world of fashion, the world of retail, and now in tech and understanding all the things that have to happen and go right in order for you to even get even close to where he was at. I just love that story of determination. I just love the story of you know, having a vision, making it plain, never relenting on that, and taking every failed opportunity as a chance to pivot and try something different, and really just believing in yourself, being able to say, hey, I know I can do this, whether it's me by myself or with the right partnerships, I know I can see this through, and I just think that it's one of the most inspirational stories behind building a brand um, that I think everyone in marketing or in retail in general should be aware of and should take to heart a lot of those lessons learned. And um, even when the, he mentions his failures, things he did wrong and people he thought were the, his like best partners and end up playing him, all of those things I think are critical in the overall overarching growth story of major brands and major retailers that we know are gonna be iconic long-term. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think one of the things that I've always admired about you too is your level of just innovation in general. Like, you know, naturally you're in tech, but I think that you are a thought leader because you're always taking in so much of that. And I'm really curious to know, like, what was it like growing up in uh, Fairview Heights? What was your earliest, like, you know, memory of having exposure uh, into the tech industry or anything like that? Yeah, so that's dope that you found out. I'm from Fairview Heights. Most people don't know, so good research <laughs> there. I typically say I'm from like St. Louis area because like oh, Fairview Heights is, is nowhere on the map. But um, just a bit of backstory. I'm a military kid, so my dad was in the Air Force. So we moved around quite a bit when we were younger. And um, Fairview Heights is the last station that my dad was stationed at before I went to high school and then off to college. And so I'd always been exposed to tech earlier than normal because my dad was in the military. He was a computer programmer. He did, um, actually he built all the computer systems for the missile silos, which is super random and super rare, but like, wow. yeah, like, so we had, yeah, we had like the first computer, we had the first printers, we had all like this cool tech because and military gets it first, right? And then they, you know, make it mainstream for everybody else. So I was always, around it and knowing my dad was um in programming and all that was like i had a awareness of it but i didn't know how it could be applied to my life outside of a laptop that's in front of me or a cell phone you know or a digital camera and so but what i appreciate of being in that space of being around um that technology is actually put in my head that that actually is where the future is going. And that's part of why I decided to go to an engineering school to get an engineering degree. Um, so I went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta for that very reason, because it always interested me, like, what could this be? What is the next big thing? I'm like super curious person. I love solving technical problems. I was that nerdy kid that would put something together, take it apart, look at all the pieces, figure out how to put it back. You know, I'm the kid putting the Hubble telescope together in Lego <laughs> form. Like, I was that black nerdy kid yeah. who was doing hey, that. Hey, shout out to all the blurs. Shout out to all the blurs thriving <laughs> it's, now. It's cool, because I also play sports. So I was like, I a little bit of a both, so it was fine. But I was super into technology, super into math and science and physics and 
you know, um, when I was younger, I was in all these advanced courses because I was just, you know, smarter than my classmates and nothing, didn't know what to do with me. So mm -hmm. I started taking college courses when I was in high school. And that's when I realized, like, okay, there's something to this technology thing, something to the science space. I didn't know yet how it would play a role into my life, but I knew I wanted to learn more. I knew I needed to do what I had to do to get into that space. Yeah, that's a good point. I always, I'm always curious about that because like, even me, I feel like I, I feel like I like stumbled into tech, you know what I mean? Like early on and it, but, but I'm, I'm always like, I, I hope that people are like now nurturing specifically not only women, but also minority communities and like students in high school, like, Hey, there's this whole industry that, you know, exists that can then help people get um, ahead of the game when it comes to like yeah. learning, you know, so many different things. So um, yeah, that's a beautiful story. And yeah, you know, shout out to Fairview, you know, don't, don't, this, it, it could be on the map. Don't, don't take them out of the game. <laughs> right, you know, but I'll give it a few more years when I blow up and I'll be like, Fairview. Fairview. You know, there'll be a sign, there'll be a sign on the highway <laughs> when they want it, you know. Uh, but no, it's, it's a military town. So, you know, there's, it's, rural yeah. central southern illinois you know um we had a walmart growing up that was about it i <laughs> my house is next to cornfields like yeah. i had a very very country-esque living um it's changed quite a bit since then but that's that's yeah that's how i grew up um yeah but it's been a positive impact despite you know not having access to all like the bells and whistles of a big city life so yeah you know, you mentioned that um, you talked a little bit about going to Georgia Tech and also you playing sports, but I've always personally admired and appreciated leaders that do have a sports background outside of the sports puns. As, as long as you're not using sports puns, I'm cool. Right. But yeah. um, how much of your, I guess, you playing sports and like being an athlete, do you incorporate or do you feel like you've incorporated in your leadership style? Um, it actually plays a larger role than I think I even realized is because when you play sports, especially organized sports on a team, you learn very early on how to be collaborative. And, you know, once you are, you know, become a captain of a team or go to varsity levels or college level sports, your leadership is really what's the critical piece of being able to win championships or win games or win track meets or whatever that may be. And that's something that you're taught really early on about how to work with your teammates, how to identify the strengths and weaknesses of people on your team, you know, when, when to listen to your coach and when to push back on your coach, right? Even those types of things yeah. you are taught as an athlete. And I incorporate that in my management style of my personal teams. You know, I always try to lead by example and saying, being the first person to say, hey, I'm open for feedback. I'm not always right. You know, what do you guys think? You know, I don't lead with like a dictator style. I want to be as collaborative as possible. And I always want to make sure I'm spending time developing my team and not just giving them work that's useful for me so they can get it done, but like that's helpful for their part of their career, helpful for what, how they want to, what they want to achieve in their life. And it's the same with sports. We have a really good coach that coach is invested into your future and in developing you and figuring out how to work what you have, um, build upon your strengths, work on your weaknesses, give you opportunities to stretch yourself. And I take that same mentality from my, my sports life to, you know, what I do in corporate America with my teams. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's been a through line with like some of the guests that we've had on here. I'm not sure if you know Jabari Hearn uh, of mentorship, but we've had him on there. You know, he's a former a basketball player. Uh, we've had Jason White. I'm not sure if you, you know, um, on here as well, who was a former okay. CEO of uh, MTV and he has a football background and soccer. But I'm like, man, okay, I should have got picked for one kickball game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say like, you know, not every, you know, person who plays sports, I think is a good leader, yeah. but I do think that those people who especially play at a college level and above, I do think it, it shows a lot about how you work with others. And that yeah. is definitely something you need to continue to grow in your career. And again, like how you manage a team, how you even choose who's going to work on your team, right? Like having that good eye for good talent is all something that's brewed in you when you're when you're playing sports and so yeah I mean I'm, I'm here for both sides you know <laughs> I understand not everybody can get to the top it's cool we still love you we still love you we still think you're valuable just so um, little dude was yeah. just sitting there waiting to get picked you know nobody picked me but it's okay here I am here I am okay. you made it though you still here like so that's all that matters you still got here so yeah, absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, you know, there's so many amazing characteristics about you, not only personality, but innovation, critical thinking, you're data driven, you're a thoughtful leader, um, friend to all. Um, but I have three leaders here and you reached the portion of the podcast where I have a little game. And okay. so what you get to do with each of these people is that you get to not take, but it's almost like a gift, one quality from each one of these people that I'm going to name. So I'm going to name three people. And from each person, you have to say the one thing that you would kind of uh, grab onto a little bit, um, okay? So okay. the first right. person, Michelle Obama. Mm. I love, I love Mama Michelle, Auntie Michelle. Um, I would pull from her It's gonna be like a phrase, if that's possible. Can that's I say? Right. I'll take that. I'll, listen, okay. I'll take it. A phrase or quality. Um, I would say her, like poise under pressure, has been the most like valiant thing I've seen with her. Especially, I've read her books. I've watched her speak on stage at, at her tours, and just being the first lady to the first black president of the United States is tremendously difficult. Um, and I have always admired the way she's held herself, how she's raised her family, how she's continued to be a constant despite all of the pressure um, around her. And it's just been, I've been fortunate to have watched that. And, um, you know, it's definitely something that I aspire to be able to do um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree 100%, especially when it's the unspoken of you already know what's happening, yet how she's reacting. It's like, man, that's good. That is right. Good. Like, dang, she didn't say nothing. Oh, man, I would have been popped off. You know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I see you, Michelle. <laughs> All right. Don't cool. lie. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. Let's go to the next lady. Oh, Oprah Winfrey. Mm um vision hmm. i you know have always said like i'm gonna be i want to be like oprah but in like in the tech space and i just love how oprah has been able to 
have a vision for her life and for her career and make it happen. I know it's not magical. I know she put in a lot of hard work and I've, I've read her books and I've, you know, watched her over the years, but I'm just impressed by the, the depth that she goes in creating a vision for herself and for her companies and her ability to bring the people together to make it happen. Yeah. And it's, it's impressive um, the way she can hold that down, so. Yeah. yeah. All right. So poise, vision, and last one, Shonda Rhimes. Boldness. Um, I I read her book, Year of Yes, at a point in time in my life where I was very much debating whether or not I could take those types of steps and be as bold as I wanted to be in trying out a new direction in my life. And I love how she's been like, nope, this is what I want to do. I want to be, you know, a mother and got, I'm not waiting for the man to do it. I'm going to adopt these kids. Boom. You know, I want to, you know, have this network, you know, thing. I'm going to do this. Boom. I'm just going to say yes and just continue to build the life that you want and to be bold and to be proud about that. And it's something with all the women that you mentioned, all these black women that you mentioned are all women who have been told no they couldn't do something for some reason or told to act a certain way or to play to play a part the way that society wants them to play that part and look a certain way and they've all decided to say no I'm gonna do it my own way and I'm gonna still be great and I just love that type of like tenacity that mentality just you know chart our own paths as black women and yeah so happy that all three of these women have been alive when I've been alive and yeah. had to experience them firsthand. So yeah, it's a blessing to have them, you know, in our world. Absolutely. And I mean, still killing it today. And I mean, you have been somebody that has been just, I mean, killing it since I want to say she's early on, but I mean, 2003, when you think about it, I would love just to take a walk back down memory lane of your journey, um, starting with, you know, the Georgia Institute of Technology. Yeah, so what's funny is I started college as a biomedical engineer. Um, I, I wanted to do prosthetic limbs. Like my initial goal coming out wow. of high school was I wanted to build prosthetic limbs and make them more affordable for veterans or just people who couldn't afford them. Cause I know they're super expensive and me having the proximity to people in the military, understanding like the value of being able to walk again or hold up your a pencil again after you've had like an accident or whatever so that was my goal at 17 years old when i went to college like i'm gonna do this and i went to college i spent three years studying biomedical engineering working at healthcare companies like johnson johnson and ge healthcare and all these things trying to chart my path to um leveraging technology for the healthcare field in my last year, I actually pivoted to include industrial engineering as well, because two reasons. One, at the time, Georgia Tech's undergrad biomedical program wasn't accredited yet. So I had to have a oh. master's degree before I get a job, which is, it was super. Was that insane. a risk? I had to go to Emory okay. to take some of my courses because Emory's program was. And so long story short, I was like, I'm not doing another degree right now. I need to be able to get this degree and get a job when I'm out. So I pivoted to get industrial engineering degree as well. So that way, when I graduated, I could officially go get a, a job in the healthcare space. 
And so that's where I started off in 2003, uh, graduated from Georgia Tech um, in 2008, uh, directly went to work for Johnson & Johnson at the Endosurgery, where I uh, basically did R&D manufacturing for endoscopic surgical tools. Wow. So I spent a lot of time in randomly Juarez, Mexico, where the plant was, <laughs> using my Spanish, trying to avoid the cartel, and figuring <laughs> out how do I optimize the development of these surgical tools that are really pivotal for changing the way people can do endoscopic, like non-invasive surgeries. So I spent about you know three or so years working in that field in the healthcare space, um, did a bunch of the other jobs. I worked at an orthopedics company, did hip implants, knee implants, brain implants, like oh had a whole other life like, yes. <laughs> before this marketing thing. And I, and what made me pause and shift was because what I realized was like, as much as I loved healthcare and biomedical innovation and building new things, I realized that I wasn't able to make the inroads at the company in a leadership position because as an engineer, you typically just do what you're told, right? There's yeah. a, someone else in sales and marketing sets the vision for the company and they disseminate down to the engineers and say, just go do it. But what I was realizing it I, when I had feedback or I had questions, I'm like, actually, this isn't as good as it could be. We should change this. We should change that. My point of view as an engineer was devalued mm -hmm. over that of sale, out of marketing or someone who was like a leader in like the business part. Wow. So I decided to make a real impact. I can't just do the technical engineering piece. I have to know the business. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way I'm going to actually drive forward with change is by learning the ins and outs of how to actually sell this stuff, how to do the marketing, how to get people to like what I'm doing. Um, there's two sides of that coin that I didn't learn about until after I'd been in corporate America for a while and realizing like, I only have ha one half, I need to get the other half done. Wow. So I pivoted. I, I, and I kind of want to say you were ahead of the curve there because now it's kind of flipped to where the technical part is actually being more expected from marketers that don't exactly. have to. So I'm like, kudos to you for being on top of it. No, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so I realized I needed to get that business aspect. Like I know how to code. I knew how to do all the, I know how to work with engineers. I know all like the technical things. But I wanted to learn the business side of the house. So I pivoted, went to business school, went to WashU in St. Louis, got myself a full ride. So I'm grateful for that because, you know, these student loans ain't no joke. Um, and <laughs> I was able to then pivot um, my work to be around marketing, entrepreneurship, uh, product development, because that was to me was the best bridge between my previous life of healthcare, entrepreneurship, innovation new product work with what I was learning was for business. And I felt like being in um, this like middle ground of product management, product growth, product strategy with a marketing lens was the best way for me to combine both of my skill sets and actually find a new path um, to actually grow businesses and not just be in the execution part of the house. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And like I said, I think that so much of being having that 50-50 split is why you have been so dynamic, not only I'm sure at Amazon right now in your current position, but also at Google and all these other companies. Um, and the one thing that I've always admired, like I said, is you've always been results driven, particularly when it comes to growth. 
Um, yep. I'd love to know, what do you feel is the miss that you have noticed from most of these brands and companies when it comes to measuring impact um, within mm. product marketing and growth? Like you've been around so many different Fortune 500 companies. Is there a through line when you're saying to yourself, okay, so we're doing this again and this is wrong yeah. again? Like what, what would you say is that one thing if, if it exists? Yeah, so I think um, we look for short-term wins mm. and we make a lot of companies are real quick to say like i want to you know i'll take like TikTok versus youtube versus instagram or whatever we look to see what's hot right now mm-hmm. and we try to make all these changes to to address what's hot right now what's trending right now what we think we want to fix right now but where we consistently mess up is thinking past this current moment and what's the long-term vision? What's the long-term strategy? Where are we actually trying to be in three years and five years? And we need to be doing the work that gets us to that goal. Mm-hmm. Not saying you have to ignore what's happening right now, but put it in perspective with the actual long-term goals of where we think industry is going. Because when we have these short-sighted decisions around, hey, I want to do, for example, like I'll take Instagram, for example, yeah. They're adding reels, you know, um, to kind of combat what's happening with TikTok. YouTube created shorts to combat pattern with TikTok, which is all well and good. But if you don't really understand who your core audience is and who's going to be using your product, not just now, but in two, three, five years, you doing this work to try to battle TikTok may be detrimental to your longstanding product development aspirations. And that's what I see, honestly, time and time again, is like, we're so quick to answer the problem of right now that we don't adequately solve for the problem in the future. So when we get to the future, we're like, damn, okay, (laughs) now what? (laughs) We're we're here again. Someone's beat us again, you know? And so I would love for, you know, the world of marketing tech and strategy to stop being so eager to solve for the quick win for what right yeah. in front of us and actually spend time investing and doing research and understanding of where is this industry going how do we skip over that so by the time we get there in three years we're ready where it can be the we can be leading there versus constantly playing catch up and mm-hmm. doing reactivation work try to get people we've lost we should be doing proactive work to keep people that we have and to gain the right to have a customer that will be with us long term yeah, and that, and it, it all works together because even as you're talking, I'm thinking about me uh, focusing specifically on social media, and I call those moments small talk. You ever have small talk mm-hmm. with someone, and it's just like, okay, yeah. that was great, and then it's like, wait, what did we say? What what happened? Exactly. What did we talk about? And you're like, okay, that was kind of like fleety. And so I think it's the same way within marketing, and particularly social media, where it's like, oh, let's just do this post really quickly, and let's say this. And I'm like, nobody's gonna remember the impact of that post or conversation. So it's exactly. the it's 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 a double-edged sword. It's tricky because we have it to be fast, but yeah, you know. I, I think both are important, right? So to your point with social media, it's important to maybe respond in a particular moment where a brand needs to talk, talk make sure they're known what their stance is. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be fleeting. It's going to fall on deaf ears if that's not tied to a longer thread yeah. of how what you're saying here relates to you as a brand. <clears throat> How that brand relates to the people that they're trying to talk to and there needs to be constant points talking points to follow up with that it can't just be like you know 
a lot of tech companies failed to this when you know George Floyd was more murdered, where they're like, we stand with black people, yeah. whatever. <laughs> okay, cool. But what does that mean? Like you made the post, you tweeted it, but you've done nothing to promote anything positive with black people at your own company, not now, and you don't have any plans for the future. So yes, you responded on Twitter and Instagram or whatever. But if you are incorporating this into like a part of your identity as a brand or as a company, people are going to start seeing through that and be like, eh, you're, you're not really there for me, yeah. right? You were here in that moment, but you're probably forgot about that because six weeks later, when something else happened, you were quiet, right? Because it hasn't been incorporated into your brand identity where this is something you constantly want to be a part of and showing the world like how that relates to you personally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to say, I, I don't even think I told you this in 2020, but huge congratulations. Um, 2019, you graduated from Wharton School of Business. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about that program and um, what you know impact that had on you. Yeah, so this was actually something that I was grateful, like Google actually helped me like with this program, their like, executive education or MBA program. And even though I already had my MBA from WashU, yep. reason why I wanted to go with this is like one thing I did notice is um, MBAs across the board, it's the same information. We all read the same cases. We all have the same textbooks. Yeah. Like, don't, I don't, I'm not sure if you have an MBA or going to go plan to get an MBA, but don't let them tell you that you need to go to a certain school to get a better education. The mm. education is the same. What is different is the network. Mm, and oh. that network is what's going to make or break your future. And so as much as I, you know, love my experience at WashU and I've walked away with tons of great friends that I'll have forever, the network is not as strong as it would be at a Wharton or at a HBS or at a, you know, Stanford or whatever that may be. That's just what it is. Like, let's just call it what it is. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to spend time at another institution that would allow me to have a greater network, a broader network that could open up the doors that I wanted to have be open for me in the future. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was, a, I was grateful. It was a program that, you know, Google um, set up for me and helped me and some other Googlers who are part of that similar program to go to Wharton for this executive education program. And yeah, it was great. You know, like I said it was repeated information because I'd already had my MBA, but the network I was able to create um, to me was the most beneficial piece. I love it. I love it. Oh, this is so good. Dropping so many gems. Do you have like, do you have a newsletter or anything, Ashley? Or do you not believe in email? You're probably like, no, I don't, I'm trying well, to get I mean, newsletters. I don't, but I should like, okay. and this is something I'm working on of like, I, I love these kind of conversations. I love mentoring. I love helping. I love, especially with small businesses. Yeah. I do this kind of work with them all the time of like, let me show you how to grow from A to B change this, change that, do this, do that. And because to me, this is the way I give back, right? This is how, this is what my skill set is, what my superpower is. This is, I love being able to share the information I've learned over the years. So I no one has to make the same mistakes that I've made. And then hopefully people will be better, right? I want people, yeah. I want more black people like us to be in those top seats. Yeah. And they can only get there by people like us continuing to reach back and providing them opportunities and roadways or inroads to, achieve their goals. So I love it. I'm all here for it. Maybe I'll put a newsletter, maybe I'll make a social media channel. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, before, but, but before I forget, what's the best way for people to stay in contact with you now? Oh, good question. I mean, LinkedIn, I'll be honest, okay. is probably the best way. Ashley, LAB, I'm the only one out there. 
Okay. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the best way. I don't have a website. I don't really use Twitter. Okay. Um, my Instagram is private because, you know, I don't be talking about nothing seriously there. <laughs> you know? Nice. Um, well, let me, well, let me say this too, uh, just for the listeners, because I always have to throw out the, this disclaimer that, please, if you add Ashley on LinkedIn, there is no guarantee that she's going to respond. She's very, very busy. I'm sure that next time, you know, I reach out, I'll have to go through 50 assistants. Uh, and no, no. With her trajectory, with where she's going. So, yeah. so I will always make time for you. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, you know, I think at this stage of your career, Ashley, and like everything that you have done, um, how, how do you define, I guess, being focused or like what, how, like to what, to like what to focus on, if that makes sense? Cause I think mm -hmm. that everything, when I look at your education background and I look at your trajectory and the different things, it's like, okay, this makes sense. I mean, I'm almost kind of waiting for your book because I do think that it's a roadmap, but like right now, oh. how do you decide what to focus on? So it's a really good question um, because I am one of those people that has a lot of things going on at once. Like, for example, I wrote a book in 2020. Oh, you know, okay, well, there you go. So we're, we're we're on the same path. You know, I've got, you know, side hustles or side businesses that I work on. Like I do real estate investing. I've always got like a bunch of things going on. That's just how I like to be. I like being busy in that way. Yeah. What I'm trying to be focusing on here is like, again, like I like planning for the future, right? I'm not trying to be working at 50 years old. I'm as much as I appreciate, <laughs> you know, the things that tour corporate America has provided me. Yeah. I ain't got time for this. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not retiring at 65, 70. I'm trying to retire like 50. Right. So I don't have that much more time left. So I, I'm trying <laughs> to figure out what do I have to do now? to get me in a position so I can be done with corporate America in the, the formal way and by the time I'm 50. And so that's what I'm focusing on now is what are those things that are gonna allow me to have that personal freedom? So part of this is understanding how do I wanna, to your point, take the information that I know and my experience, how do I monetize that in a way that's meaningful um, to those who will experience it, but also help me on my journey for financial independence, right? I think about my real estate portfolio, how many more buildings do I need to buy, you know, for the next, yeah. you know, 10 plus years. So I got enough passive income to, you know, take over my corporate salary. I think about the impact that I want to be leaving by the time I leave corporate America. And what do I want people to remember me by? Not just this marketing strategist or this growth strategist, but what else have I, could I do for my people, for my community? And what do I need to start doing now? So that when that's an actual thing that can come to fruition in, you know, 10 plus years. So those things I think about is like, I'm trying to plan for the next decade of my life yeah. and do the work now to back that in, back up, back that into that. So that way I know that when I do hit 50, I have had all the things in place where I can feel good to say, all right, time for a break, yeah. time, for chill, time for me to go travel the world again. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm, you know, been, been focusing on. I plan to continue to focus on over the next you know, few years is start laying the groundwork for my, you know, 
plan to be out of this piece. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, trust me. I mean, absolutely. I mean, already, you know, I like I can't offer that much insight because I know you're in your life more than I am. But, you know, just from the outside looking in, um, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for coming on my little show. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, this is amazing. I'm so glad that you even thought about me to okay. even be a part of this. I, oh, I yeah. love these types of opportunities, you know, so I love to be able to, you know, help whoever I can. Um, yeah. And like, if you ever want me to come again, let me know. Definitely, definitely. You can't leave just yet because okay. it's called a dose of black joy and caffeine. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but our conversation is hopefully the joy and the caffeine is just me being extra. But if you had to give people a dose of anything, 2023, before you get out of here, what's the one thing that you think people need a dose of? Majority of my listeners range from college grads to mid-level, senior level executives to C-suite executives. What's the one thing that you would say they need to take a dose of? Um, I would say we all need a dose of the acknowledgement that we are enough. Mm. I think it's really easy for all of us who are climbing these corporate ladders, we get into these cycles of comparison to say, am I doing as good as this person or that person I see on social media or LinkedIn or whatever? And it can be hampering in our personal drive to achieve whatever we want to achieve because we're not sure if we're enough, we can do it. You know, people call it imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it. But I think it's important at the start of this year to sit back and reflect and acknowledge all of our greatness that we have within us that we've built up to today yeah. and to say, I'm that girl, you're that guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're doing this shit. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cuss. But we're doing this and that is enough, right? It's enough for me. It's enough for you. It's enough for this world. And I don't have to compare myself or my greatness to other people. I can love my accomplishments, love my flaws, love, you know, my own personal goals to be better. And that should be enough. Mm -hmm. And take that with a however you want to take it. But I think it's important for making sure people know we don't have to always be striving to get to the next step or to beat out the next person. You know, we can sit and relish in the joy and the accomplishments we've had to date and yeah. let that be what drives us versus what you think society would want from you or what you think other people would want from you. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. And also, I think saving a lot of people from burnout. So I mm -hmm. appreciate that for sure. Ashley, thank you for joining me and oh. all my listeners at home. Thank you again for joining us on this episode. Please make sure that you tune in again tomorrow for another amazing episode from a tech creative and or marketing advertising PR executive. And as always, be safe, drink a ton of water, and remember that you deserve a dose of black joy and caffeine. Take care.